Hey, hey, we're back, and we have a gem of a guest in episode today. If you follow our newsletter and website, crafthotsauce.com, you had a preview of the story behind Hoot Sauce, quite a unique hot sauce that uses fire-roasted chilies and then fermented to create some incredible flavors. I actually haven't tasted them before, but we're working on a little exchange uh, from the UK to the US because Bruce is located in the UK. But from hearing about the process that you'll hear on this episode and the look of these, I'm quite confident these are some really special sauces. On the podcast, we explore Bruce's journey from how he got into cooking and working at restaurants from a young age to a transformation that led him back to his Scottish roots and eventually to Hoot Sauce. But before we get into the episode, I wanted to let you know about Sandia Seed Company. On our newsletter, I hear people that start growing their own peppers, then maybe make hot sauce from those peppers, and even some people like myself that start a hot sauce brand from them. But do you know where it all starts? The seed. So there are many types of peppers, and Sandia Seed Company has loads of seeds that you can select to put into your garden or put on a pot in, on your porch or maybe even your farm. Check out Sandia Seed Company and tell them Craft Hot Sauce sent you there. If you listened to our podcast before, you know that we always ask guests if they'd like to have some feature music near and dear to their heart. And Bruce quickly said if we can get Pete and Diesel on, that would be deadly. Well, with an exchange of some deadly hot sauce, we did just that. So check out this three-piece band from the Isle of Lewis in Scotland with their song Brandy in the Abbey. Let's go. Where the P and the D from Stornoway Town Where in a hired land that better not break down We'll stop for a smoke, some coffee and tea We'll reach in for Sneggy, grab a burger with cheese Well go and pour yourself a little brandy Take it to the alley and give it loudly well, Bruce, what's the crack? How's yourself? Oh, living the dream, man. <laughs> you know, I've got to tell you, first of all, I, do you know what I did this morning? So I, I made a batch of um, sc- sc- uh, toasting some Scotch bonnets yesterday. And for breakfast, the first thing I did was that I was trying to break the, you know, there's like a conical thing on top of your, if you, when you're fermenting, you can put a little kind of, I put a stopper in and it has an air valve. Yeah, yeah. And that snapped and went into my eye. Oh, my God. Um, and I was kind of delirious for about 10 minutes. And then as because I was trying to like mess around with it, obviously I had Scotch bonnet um, oil and juice on my hands. So then I basically the first hour of my morning from 7 till 8 a.m. was eye disaster. <laughs> it was I mean, like a start. yeah, I mean, that, that, that's part of part of the job. Um I, wait, had the st- stopper, did just like the stopper snapped or something? Yeah. Like the air valve? Yeah. Okay. I, um, I don't think I've ever had. Jeez. It was like being shot. Yeah. That's something. So actually, this this wasn't one of my planned questions, but when you get chili mash in your eye, what, what, do you, what what's your strategy? Um, well, yeah. <laughs> So I started off with good intentions, you know, I bought the face mask and everything and then it steams up. I used it for about five minutes once and then it just now looks good in the cupboard. I'm a little bit gung-ho because I think I'm maybe a little bit um, Scottish and daft. I just kind of get on with it and and I don't use any protection now at all. So if I do a big, if I do 200 litre batch, my arms probably sting for 24 hours. Yeah, that's about um, yeah. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a, a sort of it, it ends up being a bit more like a massage. It's, it's painful, and then it's massaging, and then you know, and then I also am a bit I'm a bit um, negligent when it goes to the toilet. You know, I'm always like, don't use your hands, don't use your hands, don't use your hands, and then so I'm like, there must be a better method though for getting the oil off your hands or some better astringent detergent i haven't found it yeah yeah yeah. i've heard like dishwashing soap but yeah i mean i i'd say wearing wearing gloves in the first place but i i I also break i'm quite negligent in that matter too um but yeah when i i've been 
this last uh, season doing a lot of processing. I've got, I got it in my eye a few too many times and now I, I wear glasses, but it's just kind of like, yeah, I, I just keep my eyes closed and then your what your eye will just flush it out. Um, but I was just thinking the long-term impact of getting like peppers. Well, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I, I, but what I find is it comes back later on in the day. So if it so, sort of stays in your eye, it's cleansed. And then maybe three hours later, after you've done all your prep in the evening, you're watching telly, you know, something slightly emotional comes on. There's a little tear in your eye and then wham, you're done <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I know I, I can uh, relate with you just sit, like kind of digging a little bit of the burn and everything. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it, it's the same caps. It, it's capsaicin. It's the element that will make the heat in your mouth, but it also could be on your hands, your arms. I, I, yeah. I once was cutting peppers with flip-flops, which was a mistake. And then my, my feet were tingling for 48 hours. But yeah, you, you got to kind of learn to love it. <laughs> well, I'm not 100% certain though, but I do know there's a friend of mine's dad. There's some kind of capsaicin treatment that people administer in hands and feet. I think it relieves... Uh, neuromuscular tension or something because mm. her, her dad's been doing some kind of like capsaicin treatment on on his feet wow um, you'll have to send me some more info and we'll uh i should probably yeah. ask her probably what, what actually is going on <laughs> yeah um so ho- ho- hoots or is it ho- hootsman or ho- hootman for first okay ho- so tell me a little bit about um, you, you, you're, you run hoot sauce. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about what, what's the, the story be- behind Hootsman and maybe just start with the story about kind of, I, I know that's related to where you grew up in, in Scotland. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. Um, so I am from the Northeast of Scotland. So I'm from where the Loch Ness Monster comes from. If there is a Loch Ness Legend. Monster, that is, that is oh, where I'm wait, from. Wait, what's, your, what's your take on it? Um, well, I, you know, I'm not a believer, but there, there is a guy, there's a, there's a Loch Ness Research um, Institute. There's a guy that lives at the bottom, the end, one end of the, the door's end of Loch Ness, uh, a guy called Steve. And he's been researching... <laughs> um i think with some slightly um mind expanding drugs so the, um, the sort of um potential that there is a monster i mean it's too far-fetched for me but if one day it happened it, it's, it's not impossible yeah it'd be super cool Good, yeah because uh the the lake is like super 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 deep right because like oh, yeah, yeah there's perfect. yeah i'm always fascinated how much we don't know about the ocean and just deep water what is down there we know more about space than what's deep in the water what i do know about i know a couple of facts about that area so um not that specific so anyway the loch ness runs along a massive fault line so it's it's along a an earthquake line so you know that the platelets of the of the planet collide and so it runs along an earthquake line, and there was actually an earthquake in Inverness, or there have been several over the millennia. I think one was 100 plus years ago. So that's quite interesting that there's a potential, you know, uh, you know, millennials old formations of rock because of that. And, you know, it's quite, it's quite a, you know, it's a prehistoric kind of history. They also found not far from that area, the depth of the earth was measured within a hundred miles of that area in a similar um, mountain range. So this, you know, there's a lot, of, there's, there's a lot of like ancient history and stone formation in Scotland, which is sort of what leads to its beauty. So. Yeah. Never know. Yeah. And we're, we're launching the Hootness monster sauce next year, which is wow, going to be nice. A little green beastie. Nice. Um, nice. But I suppose back to your question. Hoots, Hootsman. So, it's I don't obviously have a particularly local accent anymore. Um, I spent a lot of time traveling and stuff, but it kind of men would, would say to us like, "Hey, man!" It's kind of like a Hootsman. Uh, how's your cell? What's going on? And I don't think it has a a specific. I don't know if it's actually real or not. 
I don't know if it's something that's um, uh, what what would be the word, you know, it's part of a dialect that's dialect that's that's come across, or it's just something that lads make up. It could be something that old men say as well. I don't really know. Yeah. But I just thought it was cool. And then when I came up with the idea of the little man, um, so hoots is basically how's it going? And min a min is a man. So how's it going, man? So that the little guy with the little mustache and the the little glasses is the hoots min as well so it's kind of two things yeah yeah i think coming up with a name it is super important and it, and it just like it, yeah. it's really hard too like I, I remember um coming up with crack sauce and it just it, i was lucky that it hit me but then i thought there might be some trademark um possibilities yeah, yeah. and then so i for a while i was thinking okay, what else do I call it? And, and it was so challenging, but like, what, what does that mean to you in terms of um, kind of the, the brand and, and what you're about as a, as a sauce company? And we're going to find out you're a lot more than kind of a sauce company with uh, your, your, your fire cooking uh, and everything, but what, what, what does it mean to you? I think, uh, for me, uh, like in a romantic notion, the idea of something you create and something that belongs to you and tells a story about you kind of has to have some of your identity in it. And if it didn't, until I find Hoots, it wasn't really a source that I was willing to love. Mm -hmm. um, and then, um, you know, friends, we brainstormed and we were like, you know, hot super hoot or on all, all these things and they seemed like cliched and things they didn't seem so genuine but then when we found like uh or someone you know i, th I would imagine someone probably sowed the seed with me and it was like ah that's a good idea um because when i first went to boarding school i went to boarding school and i was like the only scottish sounding guy at the school so they used, always used to say to me how is your cell, which is like the colloquial dialogue for, you know, how are you? And I thought, I can't call it how's your cell sauce. Yeah. Um, and then so one of my other friends who was a local guy, he used to he, he used to say Hootsman. So then it was like, actually, this is something that's followed me around for a long time, essentially. So it felt right. And I was like, you know, um, I, I kind of have a passion for Scotland. I actually don't live there at the moment, but um I've been telling my friends for probably 10 years, oh, I'm going to move back this year. I'm going to move back this year. But then, so having Hoots and uh, the connection it's given me with my heritage and, uh, you know, a place and, a, you know, somewhere I love, it's really been quite, it's been good because it's, it's kind of like, I can like be the most Scottish thing on the planet. And nobody <laughs> yeah, knows, you know? yeah, yeah. I can't wait to make it in Scotland so I can have the little saltire on the back and say made in Scotland, you know, and then I'll feel... Hoots is really a hundred percent me and Scottish and, you know, proud. Yeah. 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 Well, no, I, I think it, it's always a, a journey and it's always, it's always continuing too. Um, so were you, you went on to be a chef pretty early in, in your working life. Um, yeah, but what, yeah. what were some of your first, interests in, in food and cooking and um i suppose it's all kind of quite strange and it doesn't really make sense actually my interest in food is a bit backwards it's based upon being very hungry um my so my dad is the plainest eater i have ever met um my mum is she's not the worst cook but she's she doesn't have much of a passion for it or much time so i was well fed you know nourished as a kid um, but we ate boring food and we made it in a hurry. So there was no like love and finesse and there was no kind of like, there was none of that. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, I played a lot of sport as a kid. Um, I still do now, but I played a lot of sport. So I, I basically lived my life on, I was obsessed with pasta, obsessed with anything carb based. And I would, I would spend my life eating carbohydrates. <laughs> um, and I, I had a really, really boring palate, but I kind of, I, I was drawn to food more on a really like basic level because as food and fuel, you know, and I was kind of like, I saw the benefit in it. Um, 
but I didn't know about finesse cooking, you know, I, so, but naively I, so, in, in, but earlier than that, actually, I would do kind of cooking the competitions at school and, and kind of beat the girls. So the teachers would say, Oh, you know, your pizza looks nicer, tastes better than the girls or this you've made, you know, we did a home economics class and it was like, ah, that's interesting. So like maybe I'd be the top one or two people in, 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 in the class or the year that was, that was sort of, let's say stood out a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and because I wasn't particularly academic or was a little bit naughty at school, um, much to my dad's dismay, who was a member of staff at the school. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I almost kind of wanted to not go to university and follow that path because it seemed like the way that the school was geared up was everyone was going to university. And I was yeah. like, ah, boring. And I knew uh, from 13, 14, that was not the path for me because I knew that I couldn't concentrate on something like that because it was too much sitting around. So... I actually went to work in a few hotels. My uncle's friend owned a hotel. So I would go 13, 14, 15 down to work in these hotels. Um, and I loved it, but I was a waiter. Um, and I didn't like that. And it, and it kind of my, the culmination of my career as a waiter was when an environmental health officer, do you know what that is? The, the people that control your food regulations. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, so he was sat at a table and it was tomato soup. So I was 15 years old and I was a little bit, um, na naughty. So he wouldn't move his hands from the table. And so I left the soup basically hanging on the edge of the table, knowing that when I left, if he didn't go to catch it, he would probably fall all over him. So it fell all over him and he burnt his hands quite badly. And that was kind of my moment when I kind of thought, right. Yeah. I'm going to go and hang out with the boys in the kitchen because they were like, they were filling up like uh, water balloons and throwing them on the hot top and it was bursting. And like, you know, they were at the back, they were smoking, they looked cool, they had tattoos and stuff. And some of them skateboarded, they swore. They were like, they were like lads. It looked so much more fun. And, um, but it wasn't even the food then that appealed to me. It was kind of that was the idea of like being a misfit and getting to do like leaving school and kind of doing like a job that seemed, a little bit rebellious yeah yeah yeah, yeah i've all like i've always hear, heard so many I, I feel like all the stories are unique but uh around restaurant life and and yeah. uh but the, like they're, they're unique but they also have a lot of common threads and it. it's kind of, of course, like yeah. uh I, I you said misfits and and I, i'd say that's how yeah. a lot of people describe it but it, it's it's fast it's crazy um yeah were you also learning a ton like I, i'm sure oh, yeah like because it it just it seems like and you just get it's like boom boom it, it, it's non-stop i mean i didn't realize at the time but looking back so as a as a child as a teenager the only thing i could ever put effort into was sport so i would put in 150 percent of effort to sport i wanted to continually learn to grow to get better and had all this energy for it and then i met cooking and like the first day in the kitchen, it was the same, same feeling. It was like, ah, the more effort I put into this, the more I can achieve, you know, the more competitive I am with myself, with other people, the kind of, the more exciting it gets. And all this, there's like, you, you, so you start cooking and you're like, wow, there are millions of restaurants, there's millions of books. There's like so much knowledge that you can, uh, if you desire, you can, you know, I used to wake up and at one point I was very passionate about cooking. I'd wake up in the night and read encyclopedias if I couldn't sleep and recipe books. And, and it's like a complete thirst for more and more and more knowledge for, you know, at least the first 10 years. Do you, do you have a favorite recipe book or, or, or something where you like were really hooked in? I did have, yeah. And it's kind of something I don't really look at so much anymore, but there's a, there's a really classic French um, encyclopedia called the La Russe Gastronomique, which is, um, it's kind of, it's probably a hundred, around a hundred years old. And it's about that fat. It's thousands of pages of classic French recipes, stories, ideas, where did restaurants come from? Who, 
made these dishes who are you know it, it was like it was kind of like it was super exciting and uh yeah I, I used to that was my kind of most aspirational book you know i wanted to read that from a to z to like kind of find out exactly everything about food which naively was only based upon french cuisine which uh you know because at the time you know in the late 90s early noughties it, everything was french 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 you know you speak french in a kitchen you know you all the food was french it was imported from france it was it was a it was before we realized that, you know, provenance and uh, local terroir, et cetera, was, was key. Yeah. 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 Um, so I know you transitioned out from the restaurant business. Yeah. You know, I don't know, you know, maybe some people have never had a true passion, but you know, when you, you know, so for me, 16 to 28. So, you know, I found this passion and I, raced after it and chased it and put you know 80 100 hour weeks into it and sacrificed girlfriends holidays friends funerals of grandfathers you know um you know it, it's this is it's all consuming passions that take over your life and, and sort of mold you into a person and then you kind of wake up one day as 28 year old and you're like what what's this all about why am i doing it you know because um you're earning no money. Um, you look back and you think to yourself, I've learned a lot of stuff and I've made other people very happy and a lot of money. And then you kind of like, mm, right, I'm not sure if I like this anymore. Mm, yeah. um, and, and so for me, it was kind of a moment of like, well, actually, I would call it, uh, I've, I, you know, I'm now telling people the, I suppose, the truth. On, on reflection, it was, it's, you would call it a burnout. You know, so I had work too hard, push too hard, and on the sideline, party too hard, you know, so it was kind of like, you know, fizzling out at 28, which sounds crazy, but um, I just decided that I had to put that, well, I was going to, I was working at the Olympics in 2012, and I was going to throw my chef's knife, which anybody who knows anything about chef's knife, you collect them, you care for them, you, you know, you'd kill anyone that tried to steal one. Uh, they're, they're precious. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to throw it off Tower Bridge in London and I'm never going to cook again. Uh, you know, uh, and luckily I didn't throw them off Tower Bridge. I got on an airplane and was traveling for a few years. Um, but the, you know, I think the, it's take, it took quite a few years as well to transition from, having a purpose in life, uh, which is cooking and having this direction, this drive to kind of being a bit lost for a few years and traveling kind of, you know, putting so much emphasis on your, your, your definition of who you are is I'm a chef. Yeah. Um, you know, how to let go of that as well. Cause yeah, that, that's, that's, it's we like, <clears throat> I have a passion for hot sauce. I have a passion for sports but I didn't yeah. like try to come up with that passion. It just kind of like yeah. engrossed yeah. me. Yeah. And so like, I, that's a, that's a weird thing for me to think as like how, if, if I'm trying to kind of reset and find a new passion, yeah. I, I almost came to that when, when the Red Sox, like I was only yeah, like right. 20 or no, I wasn't even trying. <laughs> I was like 15 when, when they won the world series, but it just like, I, I think a lot of people are so fed up with, like something that they're just like, okay, I got to find something else. Cause this is just torturing me. Um, yeah, right. But uh, yeah, but you, you did a lot of traveling to kind of try to, yeah. which I think is a really cool way just to get different perspectives and, and find yeah, things. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, but also as you can't ever leave the Red Sox, mate, because everybody in the whole world's got a hat with a B on it. Yeah, it's like uh, Yankees, Red Sox. There's always going to be a reminder that that you're. <laughs> oh no, no, your, yeah, I, I, girlfriend. I, I, I say I, I, I almost left, but never, never. <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, where, where did you? Had you done much traveling before? Uh, probably not, because you were uh, in the kitchen really, a lot. No. So where, yeah. where did you go? It was kind of a thing as well, because that was the, I, you know, I said from the age of 16 to 28, I will go travel, I will go travel. I had worked in France, 
Um, I had worked in Europe for a period of uh, time, you know, months, couple of years. Um, but that doesn't, that didn't really seem to count. So first of all, I actually got on an airplane and went to New Zealand, um, to the South Island of New Zealand. Um, and within two weeks, I was working in a kitchen. I was working uh-huh. a, a vineyard in one of the top um, restaurants in the country. And yeah, so it did. It took a while, but so I went to Southern Hemisphere and then a bit of Asia. And then there was a lot of draw to India, especially Northern India, Himalayas. And um, actually spent quite a bit of time in Southern India, but mostly in Punjab in a place called Chandigarh or Sarhand, which is the kind of the birthplace of of Sikh religion, um, quite strangely. So there was this ginger white boy with loads of tattoos and a load of Siddharjis and turban wearing guys it was it's super surreal but um yeah so me and my friend we actually set up a bakery in um the sort of sector 10 in Chandigarh we're doing um western style you know we're making croissants and sourdough and um cruffins and you know all this kind of hipster bread in in India it was it was, it was super interesting I mean, I mingled other places now, but I would I'd say in that period of time, living in India and then traveling to India eight to ten times in, in sort of a three-year three, three year period was kind of a heavy influence, partly because, you know, I read a lot of books and um, about, you know, yogis and meditation and, you know, Shiva and, and cool people like this, you know, and, and went to the Himalayas and, you know, like, motorbiked up to the Himalayas a few times and like walked through the mountains and hung out with you know crazy um Indian babas and it was cool yeah uh but you know it was like it was a journey of self-discovery to find kind of like my meaning but I didn't find it there yeah yeah I was it was fun looking (laughs) yeah yeah no do you do you meditate now or or did you or or is is that something that you kind of picked up on it's something i do briefly yeah you know i do i do short periods of meditation but what i did actually find was a le- a better way to find you know a little bit of peace inside a, a quite a hyperactive crazy head yeah uh, i i did a lot of growing up in those years and you know lots of self self-reflection because not only uh, not all chefs are like this but as a chef you you you've spent sort of it's kind of institutionalization, you know, it's sort of like um, the Shawshank Redemption, you know, they leave Shawshank and they're like, ah, what do we do now? Yeah. Um, and I think for me, aspects of my personality changed. I think that I, I felt um, sh- sh- chefing um, had changed me a little bit, you know, I was a little bit more grisly, a bit rougher around the edges. And, uh, you know, I, it quite, that hurt a little bit to realize that it sort of, you sacrificed all these years and then you felt like you became a bit l- lesser of a nice human being, let's say. Yeah. So uh, I was trying to shake that off for quite a few years. You uh, mentioned that you had a, a near death experience that um, yeah. was, did that snap you into a yeah. new perspective? Yeah. Yeah. in 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 hindsight so yeah i my girlfriend i i met my girlfriend in this period of uh, of travel time we met uh, we actually met in scotland um not far from home you know in a, a sort of a party in a field for a friend's birthday um and then we decided we were living in london for a period of time and london's pretty hectic so we decided to I watched Francis Malman on Netflix <laughs> and, and I was super into fire cooking. And I was like, hmm, do you want to go to Patagonia? So we um, got a job basically woofing on a uh, Andean horse ranch. So they would, they would take treks from uh, Argentinian Patagonia through a place called the Cachamo Valley, which is sort of the most isolated region in that, that area in terms of ability to get in and out and so we were working on this um, horse ranch looking after horses and building houses all sorts of random stuff but uh, during that period of time I ingested somehow um, so basically 
I got something called hantavirus, which is a disease from some rat feces. Um, that attacks your um, lungs. Basically, it slowly kills you. Wow. Um, and so I was supposed to die. I ended up in intensive care and I walked in there. I was rushed in there, sorry, in an ambulance. And they told my girlfriend, make the most of this. You might never speak to him again. So they were, there was a 90% chance that, uh, on, on the statistics that I was going to die. So I didn't. Um, and I was quite angry about the whole process for a couple of years, actually, in truth, because I kind of was like, why me? I'm, 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 you know, I'm 32 years old. Why? This is not fair. You know, I'm, I'm already lost in my life and angry because of the chefing thing. And now I'm, I'm like, I'm lying in a bed thinking I might die. And it was pretty, it was pretty tough. And then for a couple of years, it kind of sent me on a bit of a spiral of kind of like, hmm. You know, I don't know if other people would call it depression, but I think it, it probably was, you know. Um, so I, I just um, was listening to a podcast <clears throat> with the CEO of my last company who got in yeah. a, a autumn or a, a snowmobile accident and yeah. broke 19 bones. They were in remote Vermont. Nobody knew where they were. It was 20 degrees out and he was kind of lying and, and he kind of walked through the internal dialogue, but he, yeah, he was yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. saying like, so like you're here, like, are, are you happy with, with that? Yeah. Like with yeah. what you're doing, yeah. is that kind of like what was going through? Um, your, I mean, you were also probably a lot, it was different than a, a, an accident like that, but it, it, I don't know if mentally. In truth. Yeah. In truth, I took it personally. Mm. I, uh, I actually was hurt by it. I, um, you know, I, I read recent, you know, it took me a couple of years to get over that. And I, I was quite, I was quite hurt by it. I, I you know, when, when you're, yeah, in your early thirties and you're, you're actually lying in a bed thinking, what are my friends and family going to say at my funeral? It's, 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 it's quite tricky. It's quite a tricky feeling. And then when you go back to your life and you kind of feel a little bit like you've had this experience, which you, you've, assessed like what is the purpose of my life this that and the other and you're still lost it takes a couple of years for me it took time to forgive and move on but actually in in retrospect moving through that all those things it's been the best thing that ever happened to me it sent me on my knees it took me to the ground and everything since then has been rebuilding and improving and falling in love with everyone and everything and the planet and setting up a couple of businesses and just like, yeah, it was the best thing. Wow. Wow. So, so you were kind of on the mend and, and, and rebuilding. Um, yeah. Did the kind of your, and you, you kind of mentioned that you were, uh, there's a net, what was the Netflix show with the, the cooking? Uh, Francis Malman. So there's okay. a Patagonian Argentinian guy who is so funny. He, so I went out there to get inspired from his cooking, da, 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 this, that, and the other. I ended up in intensive care in the town that he's from. <laughs> my, my experience of Bariloche, where he's from, was actually of the, how amazing the medical staff are. Not his <laughs> so was, was that the, the kind of the first business uh, that you started? What was with the fire cooking? That was the the inspiration was to go out there and yeah learn to kind of do this sort of South American style asado cooking because it was kind of like it seemed like I could marry cooking which I was starting to get a bit more interested in but and then I thought you know ah but with the outdoors and yeah and wilder places and now fits all fits in with Scotland too I I know you're not always yeah, in scotland sure. but it, it's that is a very remote place with you know deep Absolutely. in history there yeah you, i could see the comparisons the andes and and scotland um they they feel similar but every scottish person that goes anywhere in the world um i think there's been some stand-up done about it when we look back and we're in a beautiful place in the world you know we always say to we'll turn to the next guy and say they were saying this is beautiful and a scottish person will say yeah, I mean, it's all right. It reminds me of Scotland. Scotland's <laughs> nice there. Um, the only place was the, I would say that the, the Himalayas is 
not like Scotland. <laughs> it's more powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about like kind of cooking over fire. Like you, you mentioned that there a lot of times that you're kind of using woods that are, are native kind of to Britain and yeah. So, so what is, is fire kind of giving or, or, or taking with kind of more of the traditional styles of, of cooking? I think that one of the problems with your um, typical kitchen is it's normally a metal box. Mm. And if you're lucky, it's got some windows. <laughs> if you're really lucky, the windows may point at something mildly um pretty but more often than not you, you a, a kitchen is um well it's normally backed onto some bins which is backed onto another building and you're in these kind of um soulless boxes and and you know fire is different fire not many people like fires inside it's not a good idea <laughs> so you know if you want to cook on fire you're outside you know there's the there's that that sort of childish um or you know simplistic um, notion of uh, fire as safety and security. So I think it's amazing when you go outside and you put up a piece of metal and light a fire on it before you even put any, put any meat on there, how many people in some kind of event or gathering are initially drawn to that, to that thing. Yeah. And, I, and I could stare at a fire for hours yeah. or I have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's more engaging than a television, you know, a television like, you, you know, when you stand around a campfire with a group of people, it's very hard not to look at that fire. It's, it's, it's like, well, I suppose it's, an, it's a source of energy. It's a source of power. It's, it's, so I think from that perspective, fire is, um, it's cool. Um, um, my dad was a scout leader when I was a kid. So we spent, um, again uh, the romantic sort of story inside me you know my dad was a scout leader and we used to cook do you, you know you have the scouts mm -hmm. in america yep yep i was yeah, part so of it for a little bit there with a the little you know the toggle on and the, the gear and we my dad was uh, in the armed forces so we'd cook like chickens um in ammunition boxes underground and light big fires and just burn stuff really and carry around little um pen knives and stuff so it all kind of like sort of all brought all these memories back of like good times with my my, my dad and the sort of kind of the freedom of being a young scout and and and, and yeah it's, it's it's more it's just it seems more real to me it's more simplistic it cuts out that you know being a chef's cool but hospitality and all that other bullshit is it's tricky yeah uh, whereas when you pare it down to 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 fire you know, wood, smoke, fire, meat. There's not a lot that can you can hate about that. Yeah. Your hot sauce, you fire roast chilies and then ferment them. So actually, yeah, yeah t t tell me kind of the transition, how you started making hot sauce and then incorporating uh, the cooking over fire. There was, a, there was a trend, you know, there's a restaurant, probably everyone, a lot of people have heard of it now called Noma. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously, classically, people fermented things for years, but, you know, 20 years ago, I think maybe Noma came out. So, it, it, and that's in this, it's a Scandinavian, it's in a Scandinavian, uh, yeah, it's, it's in Copenhagen. Okay. Yep. Um, and so they, they, they made fermentation cool again. And along with a restaurant in Sweden called Favakan. So they were for, for a period of time, the coolest restaurants going. So this this reignited in a lot of chefs. This like, let's ferment everything. You know, let's ferment fish. Let's ferment meat. You know, every single thing that came into your your hand. You know, fermentation went crazy for a while. So I I did some dabbling in fermentation. Um, it would have been probably fifteen years ago now, where it was kind of becoming a thing, and that, that made a few. Um, hot sauces back then but you know nobody really cared about hot sauce in our country then yeah really. yeah, yeah. We, we had tabasco and that was it yeah um, and tabasco was kind of like it was weird yeah <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, no it wasn't you know something many people have <laughs> um 
and then you know i had made so i'd made hot sauce previously and some of sort of exchanged things with friends then lockdown hit so and during lockdown everybody was going crazy for you know ways to enter, entertain themselves at home so you know that's when you know it rekindled my sourdough making, you know, um, bits and pieces. So I, I set up an illegal um, takeaway in my garden. Um, so I would, nice. uh, I was, I did a pizzeria, I did a burger joint, I oh, did uh, shawarma, and I kind of texted neighbors and stuff, and it, it went from like tw- twelve people to like sixty people a night, and I was turning wow. away. From- people because it was you know it was like uh it's kind of like it's like being a drug dealer you know i was like (laughs) uh, you know people would like come to my house and a lot of time and come and get some food anyway so i was making hot sauce and like pickled um vegetables on the side you know just as like uh i'd give them i'd make you know i'd give them um uh, a dish and then a dessert in a little pot and then some pickles and hot sauce and i was making this um everything was either co- it was cooked on fire in my garden it was called the secret garden takeaway so i was thought awesome. you know, i should burn some chilies and make hot sauce so i made a 75 percent scotch bonnet hot sauce wow <laughs> which i gave to people you <laughs> gave to uh to people you're in wales right normal people we're on, yeah. we're kind of on the welsh border of england so uh, we're we're like okay. 40 minutes from Wales. <laughs> We're just given to like where I live is quite affluent as well. So it's kind of like it's sort of well to do, um, proper people. You know, it's not, it's not kind of like it's not lads, it's like you know, people with good, good culture, tastes, and stuff. So, um, I think I probably ruined some taste buds with the 75. <laughs> it was hot, um, and so on the top of the little, you know, these recyclable little dishes, I would write hot and hot became, you know, I thought, oh, this is when the hoot sauce idea came up. So I called it that. And then I've got no idea why it ended up in a bottle anyway. It ended up, <laughs> it ended up in a, you know, these flip top beer bottles. Of like yeah, a liter. Yeah. So I was giving people a liter of this 75%, like a few friends, 75% Scotch bonnet chili, which was like, for the for the not for the faint heart um and and so so you would like roast those black oh yeah and, pretty and, pretty and, nice, and then put them like into a, okay and then would you make a mash or do a brine um oh i've always done brine i'm still kind yep. of like um slightly afraid of the the mash scenario because of the I don't, I haven't, it's something I need to speak to some people about is actually because I haven't really worked out if, if you can put a cooked, you know, mash a cooked product and, and have a, a mash for a man. I, I just don't know anything about it, to be honest. It's, uh, it would require some further education. But so it's a brine. It's a 4% brine. Um, it was a lower um, solution of brine, but then I, once I did research and, uh, listen to one of your podcasts. I realized that I had to up my salt and fermented it for 21 days to 31, 30 days and te- test the pH, which gave me a really um, stable uh, source once bottled. It, it helped with the shelf life and the kind of like the, you know, the peace of mind that you get yeah, when yeah. you the first. The first batch of hot sauces to sell, some of them exploded in people's kitchens. <laughs> yeah, um, that, that will happen. Um, the initially, I, I so I actually um, cook my sauces now and hot bottle them. Whereas initially it was a cold bottling process, and the fermentation never stopped because I didn't really know what I was doing. And so the first probably two hundred and fifty bottles, maybe five hundred, <laughs> was a bit like. Uh-oh, something. You know, I was, a, yeah. I was waiting for another phone call or a picture because basically I sold most of them to friends but posted them around the country in Europe. I was waiting for, I was like, it was like, oh, I hope we haven't blown any more up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
so okay so it was this um scotch bonnet tell, tell me more about the, the and is this kind of was this your first staple sauce or was just this kind of a a sauce that you made first and then have it kind of adjusted the recipes uh since then well actually the truth the truth is there is only one hoot okay that's the solstice yeah uh yeah um and that is basically because this has been a crazy year hoots has only been around um since march April, March, April this year. And okay. in the meantime, it's gone. So I've sold, I'm on course for about twelve to 15,000 bottles in the first year. Holy smokes. As a side hustle. So wow. I basically, I've worked. So if there's 365 days in this year, I've probably worked 343 of them by the end of the year. <laughs> um, so I've really had to squeeze in making um batches of 500 and a thousand bottles of hot sauce basically in my sleep wow (laughs) um so i've had no time to come i've got all these ideas for peat smoked island inspired whiskey inspired you know um the hoot nest monster but i've literally had no time to to add to this range so next year hoots is going to go from one sauce to four um but the process of hoots came from a flavorful sauce that was too hot to eat to um, let's find some things that feel Scottish. So Hoots is made with Swede, which is basically a, a turnip. And that's another kind of, you know, my step grandfather was a shepherd. So in Scotland, in my region, they throw all these fermented turnips in the field and the sheep eat them and it's got like quite an interesting smell and i i've always kind of thought oh the, you know it looks quite smells quite tasty um so i thought that feels scottish so i'm gonna put um i'm gonna ferment some some turnips and put them into it as well um i mean there's loads of garlic in it which has got nothing to do with scotland particularly but um comfy garlic yeah you know, that, that was something that I, i've never done confit garlic but and i've yeah, noticed right. you have a, a lot of oil in, or, yes. um uh, in well that, actually is, not that much okay yeah yeah uh, but I, there's something i haven't I, I i use oil to saute some stuff when i'm not doing fermented sauces but the oil provides like because it, it mellows out the garlic and then so i actually confit them so there's there's like a classic uh, method of confit which means that the the garlic would still be light in color but what I do is I comfy them so they're kind of toasted. So they're kind of like crispy on the outside as well. So it's got like a, a sort of um, caramelization of the garlic as well. Um, nice. Yeah, we could talk about garlic forever. Um, <laughs> the, you know, so I, I, I want to try and, and, and impart any kind of, any little touch of Scottishness anywhere into the sauce I can do. And, you know, hands up admittedly at the moment i use xanthan gum as a little like a it's kind of liaison so it with the oil and the xanthan gum it produces this kind of sauce that has a, a kind of chefy style consistency it's kind of like it's it's kind of pourable it kind of holds its shape but it's not gummy like xanthan gum because it's yeah it's only it's one percent xanthan gum or maybe it's a little bit less than that now um, I want to swap that out for oatmeal. So I want to actually try Ooh, it with wow. so, uh, toasted oatmeal. So it'll have like a toasted oatmeal flavor and then it'll be completely natural. And it's another kind of nod to Scotland. Um, it'd be quite nice to, wow. to thicken all the sauces with that kind of toasted porridge vibe. Wow. Speaking of, I'm, I'm eating some porridge right now. <laughs> that, that'd be re- re- really cool. Um, and yeah, that, that I could really see that working uh really well there yeah that's cool it could work in yours as well actually and crack yeah 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 i don't how do you think in your sauces or is it natural um it's natural it's something that i actually it's a little bit of a issue when it sits on store shelves because it just like 
you see the water, the water or, or the liquid kind of goes to the top. And yes. then it's just like, people are like, Oh, this is the, if you don't realize, if you don't have hot sauce or and make it, you, you don't realize that that course, is yeah. natural. Uh, and I don't yeah. have that on my bottle too. That's just like separation is, is uh, that'd be a good thing to add. It's like separation is normal, but I do a lot of like carrots, beets, um, pumpkin. Those are things that have been kind of nice that can thicken it. Um, pumpkin, especially like that one never separates because it's got that good consistency. So what's, what's the crack with uh, old jock? Well, n- n- naming naming uh, pots. Oh, right. Did, 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 <laughs> I don't know if old Jock has been retired, but I, I, uh, I I'm a big. I, I name a lot of my. Cooking yeah, it's equipment. fun. I've yeah. got like um, the sauce filler. He's called Arnold Sausenegger. Um, <laughs> I've got um, yeah, we Jimmy's the the blenders are all, they're all we Jimmy, we Johnny. Um, what else have I got? I don't know. It's just it seems it seems fun. Yeah, um, yeah. I I got Gerard as my uh, big paddle ladle. Blender, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it because you know it also like they have a you know these pieces of equipment have a critical role in what you do, and you kind of like if you humanize them in a way, it kind of like it's you know they're they're like your mates your employees, you know, it sort of like validates how important they are. I think it's probably a little bit of inspiration from like, you know, Castaway with Wilson. Yeah. You know, when, <laughs> when you're stuck in a room on your own, you like, you know, have a little chat with some of the, some of the gear around you. Cause you know, making hot sauce is fun, but it can be boring as well. You know, um, I've recently invited a friend of mine to come and watch, you know, he, he wanted to see, and you know, he spent a day, you know, 10 hours making a uh, thousand bottles of hot sauce. And you, you could tell it wasn't, it, it wasn't fun for him. And also the, the, the fire cooking aspect, you know, toasting 45, 50 kilos of, of chilies was kind of like, it didn't do it for him. But, um, but I, you know, I love it. Even the kind of like, um, so you find something that interests you within that kind of, um, that day you know i like the i like getting all the labels on perfectly right or i like yep. timing myself to see how quickly i can fill them up with sauce you know i find there's the um, rhythm to it. yeah and i think yeah. that's cool you know it, it's it's monotonous repetitive tasks but there's also little aspects of improvement and you can fine tune things and think oh shouldn't have done that there i can move that there this way so i'm i'm always kind of like having fun in a strange way yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that, I, I think that's one of my favorite parts when I'm cooking with a few people, when we, we, we get in a good rhythm and then there's just that energy that like you're all on the same page and, and you can't, it's really actually easy to be taught. Like, I feel like your filter kind of comes down a little bit when yeah, right. you, you're just kind of spitballing and, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you got that rhythm together as a group. Um, it's but, also I think it is cool working with a group of people you know I, it brings a different energy to to, to like you know the, there's a lot to be said for working in a team there's it's cool working on your own but I think one thing I would you know it would be more fun if Hoots had other people in it not so I could offload the tasks and the challenges just because you can have a bit of laugh, have a laugh yeah. you know and it's, it's kind of like I I think I've told you before but um, I listened to you um, as a kind of religious thing. It was something I started at the beginning was, you know, listen to a podcast where obviously the podcast doesn't last the whole period that I'm cooking, but I like kick off, you know, I, I do my run around like an idiot, pack everything, go, and then I get into the podcast. That kind of gets me going once the stores have started cooking. And that's kind of my my social interaction of today that's awesome that's awesome well no that, that makes me happy and it's just like yeah i don't, I don't think this podcast is for everybody but it, it, it's um it's cool being able to hear kind of learn about the people behind yeah, the sauce yeah, and also yeah. pick up on some lit like because you, you might have said 
kind of that turn up and somebody be like, Oh, like this is something that's native yeah. in my area yeah. that, that I haven't yeah. thought about that. So I, yeah. I think it, it, those little connections are, are awesome. So something that is on your bottle, it is, mm. it says be curious, not judgmental. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Why, why did you put that on your bottle though? Ted Lasso. Okay. Uh, shit. That's from Ted Lasso. Yeah. I, I, uh, I should know that. You know, it's, it was interesting the first years of Ted Lasso and like as one or two things in that, 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 you know, it's a Walt, Walt, Walt Whitman quote um, just sort of hit me, you know, it was kind of like uh, it, personally because, you know, I was, you know, in my head at the time I was, I was going through a sort of situation with a friend, you know, uh, some, some, some friends are like, you know, some friendship challenges and that that thing just made me think yeah wow imagine considering what other people are thinking or what other people are doing and i thought you know it works as a tagline as well because a lot of people look at hostels and go no chance or you know so it's like be curious yeah. not judgmental yeah, yeah. give it a try give this sauce a try yeah. it's like subliminally trying to like get it into their head that it's not a bad um mantra for life yeah um, with, I'm trying to adopt in my own life. And I kind of thought, you know, that's changed me. I wouldn't mind helping change, you know, or at least sowing that seed in some other people's heads, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, because I'm like, you know, if, if imagine, you know, I sell 10,000 bottles of hot sauce this year. And, and over the course of 10 years, that's 100,000 or more bottles of hot sauce. Each hot sauce is not one person. That, that could potentially be reaching one or two million people might, it's, it's a little thing. They might read something and go, yeah, that's fun. That's, that's made me think alternatively. So I think you can try and hot sauces. It's, it's a passion. It's fun, but it's also nice to kind of like stretch people and remember like on a planetary level that we can have an impact on each other um, positively, you know, and try and, you know, recycle and try and spend a, spread a good message. You know, my other message on the bottle is peace, love, and compassion, which is cheesy, but I think it's, it's, you believe. it's, yeah. it's important. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something that as you grow and as you're the one that's putting that peace, love, and compassion into every bottle, it, 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 yeah, it, 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 it you can taste it. Yeah. Like I, I've had people say, uh, Brian Ams did a review of our sauces. Like I can taste the personality of yeah, the maker cool. in this. And, and and I think that's true, especially like when you're not taking the shortest way to make 10,000 bottles, you're freaking yeah. fire yeah. roasting these, you're fermenting yeah. it. Uh, yeah. it. It takes a while, but I think like that's something important for people to consider is like is it just a hot sauce or is there more of a message behind that yeah and you suppose you don't think about that at the time but that and i mean that's what so it means so much to you because it's it's a, it is it becomes more and more a true reflect reflection of it's for me anyway i'm not sure if everyone's saying but of what you a like believe in you know style i know for a fact i'll never have a fruit um based hot sauce i've never enjoyed yeah fruit fruit and food you know and and some of them work but for me hoots is always going to be a more savory flavor with things you know anchovy garlic these kind of more uh references to um italian or classic cooking in there instead of you know i'll, I'll I won't do an Asian sauce either, even though my girlfriend's from Hong Kong. It doesn't, it doesn't work for me. Uh, and there's some really good ones out there. There's a Scottish um, kimchi style. There's there's loads of ones, you know. And so, uh, but it doesn't for my story, for my my style as well. I I I'm always gonna kind of try and go for this kind of smoky, earthy flavors. Yeah, no, I, I'm the same way. And, and just thinking about like. What, when I'm cooking it, I'm, I'm going for the taste myself. And, and when you're tasting yeah. it and, and you got to be able to, uh, yeah. you got to know like where that. you're going for <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know that if I went and whacked, I mean, actually that's, 
I may have a slight lie there. I have sea buckthorns on my radar. I'm not sure. What, what, what's that? It's a it's a little orange um, sort of wild foraged berry, which oh, has got wow. like a sort of uh, acidic taste, and it's it's a vibrant kind of yellow. That that's something I could use, and I've. I also have a bit of a soft spot for gooseberries, but I think a gooseberry married with the right thing could work. I'm going to, I'm going to also, I have a thought process of perhaps uh, burning apples. Mm, wow. So I, I suppose what I, what I'm not a fan of is classic, your pineapple, blackberries, all these kind of things. But I think um, burnt apple tastes very different to an apple. Yeah. Um, so they're they're my couple of inspirations. They're my ex- they're my exceptions to my rule. That's obviously not a very strong rule. Yeah, yeah, yeah. N- n- never, never say never. But, yeah. Um, cool, man. Well, Bruce, it's been an absolute p- pleasure. And and uh, I guess uh, before we wrap up, anything else that you'd like to mention or or any other parting thoughts? Um, I suppose so. Maybe if I put myself in the eyes of the listener and maybe you know there could be a couple of beginner hot sauce people i mean i'm a beginner as well but luckily i've got some foundation as a chef which helps um if you're uh, new to the hot sauce game and you're you know maybe a little bit afraid of what to do or what i, I want to encourage people that if they love cooking or they love hot sauce to reach out to people on places like craft hot sauce or other makers like myself or people that they've met on here. And I, f- I feel like one of the coolest things I've, I've learned and done in this hot sauce experience is just like send someone a message on Instagram, find an email address, ask questions. There are some hot sauce wankers. <laughs> they will not respond to you and they want to keep everything secret. But 99% of the people out there will just say, this is where I get my boxes from. This is how I find my bottles. This is the best way to add a sh- extend your shelf life i think like the um and i suppose you were the gateway to that for me was a, to find a community of people that want to share their interest expertise and, uh, uh, and stuff and i think that's so yeah if you want to make hot sauce and you're terrified ask somebody make some friends yeah i i i would second that it's a really great community sometimes when i have a hot sauce company and ask me like, Oh, w- w- a local hot sauce company. Says, oh, where, where'd you get your box? And like, initially I'm just like, Oh, like that's competition, but competition keeps you on your toes. It dr- drives you to go faster and, and better. And, and it makes, it makes a better product and makes more innovation. And, and it's better to have a friend than an enemy. Which- Absolutely. I think that's it. I think it's instinctive and love us, this defensiveness to protect, but, uh yeah i think growth only comes from sharing really and i i've i've taken that from my primary experiences as a chef when i was young you know some some chefs guarded the recipes Mm. and you know nobody can replicate hoots nobody can replicate crack they can take a few ideas but no one's no one's ever going to make my sauce no matter how hard they try they'll never do it yeah yeah so share your secrets they're not secrets (laughs) amen well bruce great stuff man cheers for listening to that one definitely give hoot sauce a follow and wish him luck i'm quite intrigued for their new sauce the hoot nest monster which is just this incredible green color i've never seen before we'd also appreciate if you leave us a review and tell a friend about the podcast you may have been like brian what the hell you haven't done an episode since this summer i'd be like that's true but the peppers were filling up in my boots this summer and fall Uh, And we have a wonderful lineup of guests coming on while we're in hibernation mode. So till then, enjoy the start of the new year, and we'll catch you next time. Where the P and the D from Stornoway Town, where an a hired van that better not break down. We'll stop for a smoke, some coffee and tea. We'll reach in, we'll snaggy, grab a burger with cheese. 
Well, go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley and give it loudly. Go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley and give it loudly. Go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley and give it loudly. Go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley, give it loudly. Yourself a little brandy, take it to the yard, give it loudly. Well, there's a watch and buzzing coming from the dash. He said, just ignore it, it's a pile of trash. There's a cob on a bike, and he's in that way. There's Tony Duffy coming to watch us play. Well, go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley and give it lolly. Go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley and give it lolly. Go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley and give it lolly. Go and pour yourself a little brandy, take it to the alley, give it lolly. Pour yourself a little brandy. Give it loudly! 